Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 477 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Alex Horosha Ernst and Howard Zhao of Muse Games and ask them about their gardening survival action game, Wild Mender. Now, for long-time listeners, I mean really long-time listeners, you might recognise that second name, Howard Zhao. He's been on before. In August 2014... That's right, episode 36 of The Sausage Factory. He came on to talk about The Guns of Icarus, an excellent multiplayer action game where you take control of dirigibles and fire guns at each other. Fantastic game. Wildmender is a very different proposition. This is has you as a, basically a, a gardener of the world and you're trying to repair it from a terrible, disastrous thing that's occurred. I don't want to reveal too much details. But you start off in a plain desert of a world which is barely hanging on to life. And towards the end of your experience, it is in a wondrous world full of wildlife and trees and waterfalls and all sorts of loveliness. But that's only brought about due to the player's actions. And I mean players as in plural because it can actually take up to four people. So it's a multiplayer experience, multiplayer survival game, but it's a somewhat different take on survival game genre which we talk about at length in this episode the music which is featured throughout the game we talk about at length in this show as well is by andrew soto and is available on steam and as always there is a link to where you can buy the soundtrack in the show notes so without further ado let's listen to me from the relatively recent past talk to howard and alex chris take it away hello alex and howard Hello. Hello. Could you tell us who you are and what you do? Sure, I'll start. Um, I'm Howard, Howard Sal, the team lead of Muse. Uh, we're the creator of Wamender. Um, other of our games are Ember, which is called a firefighting game, and Guns of Vigorous series, which is a steampunk airship combat game. And I'm Alex Durock Ernst. I'm the team lead on, or not team lead, project lead on Wildmender. I'm also the 
sort of primary programmer, but all, but do a lot of the game design as well. Guns of Icarus, you've been on before. <laughs> yeah, that was a while ago, but uh, that's a long time ago. That was in the yeah. Wow, there you go. That's not my research blown out of the water, but wow, <laughs> that was a long time ago. Welcome back. <laughs> There you go. I recognise your voice, Howard. Anyway, we can still ask this next question, uh, which is still valid to both you, Alex and Howard, to re- recap. Is um, how did you make your start making video games? That's a great question. So Alex and I pretty much started at the very beginning. Um, before we make games, we were actually working on virtual spaces or just you know call it virtual world at the time. Um, I think what we're trying to do is create these um, you know virtual apps or um, you know virtual spaces where we pull in people's web content you know so travel blogs uh, photos and so on to create like interesting 3d applications for we were using unity at the time and you know really like 3d on the web was pretty much at the forefront of where tech was so it was you know exciting to be there However, you know, it's hard to find a business model for what we're doing. You were using Unity. And so we decided that, hey, you know, we always wanted to make games. So, you know, we started making games. Um, And when we first started, we were actually making 3D games for the web, which is pretty new at the time, uh, using Unity's web plugin. And, uh, you know, we were basically just hosting games on our sites you know, having people to play. And surprisingly, um, you know, quite a few people found what we were doing um, and actually enjoy what we were doing. So then we started to uh, really make games for Steam. And, you know, Steam at the time, this is a long time ago. I mean, Steam at the time was still uh, a curated platform. You know, people have to, you know, apply to be on Steam. Um, so we were pretty fortunate that our first game, you know, first, uh, I guess, call it commercial game, was one of those games and, you know, got to be on Steam and did... I guess better than you know we thought it'd ever do, and you know that kind of propelled us, and we just started making games ever since. Nice. Uh, well, so Alex, you shared that sort of story, so we shall. Uh, unless you want to add anything to that, uh, I think the, the only fun thing I can add is that well, yes, that was our start as a company. I personally started making games with the Adventure Construction set on a Commodore sixty four when I was like eight. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. See if, see if that's a callback anybody else recognizes. Yeah. I remember shooting my constructing set. That was fun too. But could go on. Let's move on to the next item. I'm just that the, the answer to this is going to change over time. So I love asking it. As creators, what are your biggest influences? We have a pretty wide range of inspirations. Uh, and, you know, all our games. They have some through line in gameplay and, you know, in back end, um, they're generally multiplayer, they're generally team based and co-op. Um, and we tend to experiment with, you know, system driven gameplay and procedural generation. Uh, but thematically, they're pretty diverse. Um, you know, we have steampunk airship team battles. We have co-op firefighting that is actually kind of like the akin of firefighting as if you're Uber drivers. And we have, you know, obviously with Wildmender, um, which we'll get into, it's a, a gardening survival sim. So the thematically it runs, and stylistically, um, they run, you know, quite a wide range. And so we draw inspirations from 
you know, a lot of different sources. Some are games, some are, you know, me- different forms of media, movies, um, as well as literature. So, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting for us. You know, we take creative risk, um, but you will know, we'll try to, you know, do things a bit different just about every time. I think personally, I also pull a sort of game system influence from just reading about random weird topics often on wikipedia um i mean like wild mender on some level started because i wanted to make a game about forest succession let's think about a little bit something a bit more topical what uh, video game developer do you admire most and why i'll start um so i've always really admired clay entertainment and you know that game company i think they take creative risks and they are you know they're really driven into, you know, just delivering quality games, really, you know, polished gameplay. I think, you know, they're, they're really passionate about what they do. And it's also about like, just kind of building a team, um, building a team that lasts, um, you know, where they treat people well. So I have always, you know, really looked up to uh, and draw inspiration from what they do um, and, you know, and try to you know, bring some of what they do to, you know, to our team. Uh, I was going to mention Supergiant because while they're still, you know, a relatively small team, they're not, they're not a huge studio. They have really always excelled at sort of all the pieces of their games working together and kind of reinforcing each other, the narrative and the gameplay and the art um, and, you know, making a really cohesive whole. That's no mean feat, isn't it? You're right. That's the thing, isn't it? To make something adhesive, everything shines, nothing overshadows any impressive Last question then. Here we are. First half anyway. What are you playing right now? So the most recent new game I got was Baldur's Gate, but I have barely touched it. Um, <laughs> just haven't really had time. Uh, the games I've logged a lot of time on over the last year or so have been, I think, Tears of the Kingdom uh, and Elden Ring. Um, hey. Yeah. I spend a ton of time in, in Tears of the Kingdom as well. <laughs> I'm and how did you find it both? What was the thing that kept you drawing you back to it? Uh, to Tears of the Kingdom specifically? Yeah, because um, you both obviously played it a lot. I mean, yeah. So I feel like in a lot of ways, they took the, the best parts of the, the sort of open-ended style of um, the previous Switch Zelda uh, and sort of iterated on them very well. And, I don't know. It was just re- it's just really fun to explore and play around in, which like that, that sort of exploration and simulation aspect tends to get my attention in games when it's done well. And I think for me, they it's the same world, right? It's the same. So like narratively, it's supposed to be a continuum and it is the same world. And yet they found ways to just within the confines of that, you know, I guess within that constraint, they're able to somehow just add that much more content, um, which to me, it's, really impressive um and you know the game feels new um and there's i, I think narratively it's i think they definitely elevated um you know the, the the franchise i think i think it's you know tears of the kingdom you know it's a great narrative i mean there are different uh the different moments where you know i felt you know pretty moved and it's, there, there's some like poignant moments in there you know that i actually wasn't expecting and they also managed to introduce some new mechanics that I thought was, you know, really interesting. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a sequel, if you will. But, man, it's, you know, I guess I, they definitely exceeded my expectations just almost in every way. So, yeah, it's a really good game. 
it's quite a triumph, isn't it? They they built on what was already an exceptional game and they've made it even more entertaining, which Nintendo can pull off, I guess. Maybe not, but they're pretty good at that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that is harder than people give credit for. A lot harder, especially given the expectation, right? I mean, it's actually a lot harder than I think what it seems. And, you know, they, it is one of, the, one of the games that definitely pulled it off. Yeah. All right, well, that's the end of the first half. Let's uh, move on to the second half of the show, which we shall be delving deep to Wild Mender. First question, more of a quest really, before we delve deep into uh, World Mender, we need to know what it is. So, Howard, best of luck with this, but uh, in your own words, what is World Mender? So, uh, at its core, it is a survival gardening game. It riffs on a lot of ideas of the common survival crafting genre, uh, but we've tried to give a unique spin on it with a focus on uh, desert survival and on restoring the land through your own efforts. And then on top of that, there's a bunch of story, and there's ghosts, some of which are friendly, some of which aren't. There's magic. There's there's a whole lot to discover. Yeah, so you start off um, at a tiny oasis, uh, in a, you know, just at a little spring, and the world is, you know, in ruins. It's an arid world, uh, a desert world. Um, so bit by bit, you know, you venture out, you expand your garden, you cultivate, you know, the plants uh, that you grow, and you know, seed by seed, plant by plant. Uh, you expand your garden and your your oasis and eventually reforest the world. Um, you also go out to explore 
the world adventure, you know, discover what happened with the world and, you know, combat enemies and, you know, fulfill quests and so on. And eventually that will bring, that will give you more abilities, more tools, you know, more plant varieties that you would discover and, you know, some cute, cute creatures along the way um, to bring it back to your garden. Yeah. Yes, I particularly like the frog. He's very handy. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say why, everyone, because we don't do spoilers on this show. That's Kane and Rince. We want to do spoilers. We don't do that here. <laughs> but, um, no, it's uh, quite remarkable, the sense of achievement when things really start to expand. It starts off very, very bland and sparse. Deliberately, everyone. It doesn't, you know, it reveals itself very, very gradually. One thing that strikes me as being interesting it's part of this adventure aspect of the game because there is extraordinary story going on and it's one thing that drove me on because i wanted to answer that question what happened I mean, it's devastating what's happened to the world is plants and animals are barely hanging in there and um, what on earth happened here and you wake up this is strange floating blue symbol giving you suggestions as to what to do not suggest orders although it's labeled you know it's worded in such a way that it could be but one of the things that struck me is you've got this almost tug of war, at least I found it, with, yes, you should be going out and doing these really quite interesting quests and discovering things and seeing what is out there in the world. But it's extremely hostile to the point where you have to manage your your um, water intake, keep hydrated, and also your food. Otherwise, you start to actually, well, collapse. Indeed, when you wake up, you are not in best of sorts, so you needing to eat and, and drink before you can do anything. It's um, And it's, it, from the outset, you keep on telling the player, look after yourself, otherwise, what's the point in it all? Now, granted, there are settings in the game that means you can lessen that emphasis, but I left it to default because I felt that that was uh, like a counterpoint between, yes, looking after yourself, but also spending some time exploring. I just yeah. have to ask, was this a pillar of the design of Wildmender? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we want to have the adventure aspect and the the cultivation and gardening aspect um, mutually enforce each other. So, you know, it's almost like a reciprocal relationship um, where the more you're able to expand your garden, um, obviously the, the more water supply you have, the more you know food sources you, you, uh, you have, um, then you can use that to, you know, craft, uh, eventually craft, you know, larger bottles or larger water bottles and, and you know, store more food and you can adventure further. Um, so the, the idea is, is that as you, as your garden expands, um, you will also become more powerful. Um, that will give you the ability to venture further and to, you know, tra- uh, traverse deeper into the game. And as, as for the, the narrative uh, question, yeah, I'll, I'll let Alex. Yeah, um, actually, before, before narrative, um, so at, at its core, Wildmender started as a survival game where the, the, the sort of prime motivation of your character, because you walk, come into the world with no uh, knowledge of your character or of the world itself, for that matter, is just to survive in a world that is hostile. And one of the things we wanted to do was to sort of put a twist on that where it's it's like it's kind of you against the world, but it's not because the world is inherently your enemy. It's because the world has been made your enemy by these external factors and that by restoring it, you can 
recreate this uh, more natural symbiotic relationship between yourself and the environment rather than just pulling resources from it. You're putting them back in and you're both benefiting. So taking care of yourself also becomes taking care of your garden. So that part was very intentional. The other part of this that's very intentional is the sort of loop uh, that Howard was alluding to of exploring the world to find new things to bring back to your garden and then gardening to get resources that let you explore the world. We wanted those two parts of the game to exist in tension with each other and each of them kind of prodding you to do the other one. Uh, and this goes down all the way to the day-night cycle of Wildmender, where during the day it's, you know, the desert in the bright sun. It's inherently kind of hostile unless you can find shade, which you get from trees or your garden or a handy water source. While night is easier to explore, both for the natural reasons and because various magical things become more active there. And then the the narrative aspect of it is sort of an extension of that that exploration half of the game, where talking to the ghosts and the other uh, forces that I, that I won't name to avoid spoilers, and uncovering these pieces of information about what happened to the world and about your place in it are part of the reason for you to go out into the world that you know is a little bit hostile leave the safety of your garden and go find something new yeah uh that's me looking out to the horizon it's the same kind of feeling i had way back 20 years ago now i first played world of warcraft going oh look at that what's that let's keep rolling oh no it's the barons anyway it's <laughs> yeah, always something new to discover sometimes what you discover you regret immediately but that's yes. the way of things it is the way of things it is the way of things well, I want to talk about skill trees now, because there are some in Wildmender, and they are, you know, multitude. But not, you know, it's not Path of Exile level of complexity, but uh, then again, what is? But they're very much there, and they do guide the player into what kind of game they want this, what Wild, Wildmender to be for them. And they can go away one, go another way, and say, oh, I'm going to explore this tranche, and then just grow and grow. But there's a link between it and the crafting tree where their recipes become revealed to you as the more you learn about the world. Can you talk to us about their relationship? Indeed, if there is one, I believe there is, but it's not uh, implicit. So the existence of those skill trees uh, kind of goes back to that giving you reasons to explore core idea where talking to the ghosts and getting the, those memory points that you spend on the skill tree is kind of one of the basic loops of exploration. It's a reason to go out, and it's a reason to go back to your garden periodically because you need to exchange essence with the ghosts in order to get new new memories, and you do that from the essence you get from your garden. Um, so that's the, the reason for it to exist in the first place. The other part of this is that if we give you... <laughs> there's this weird effect where if we gave you too much... At the beginning, all at once, it was just overwhelming for players. This was actually the case in some of the very, very early versions of the game. You just had everything at the start. You could do all the, you know, seeds and options and crafting recipes and all that. Um, and it was just overwhelming. People didn't know where to go, what to do, what was important, because they hadn't learned anything about the game yet. So a lot of the progression actually exists to sort of pace that out. And in addition to making exploration rewarding and, you know, in order to do that, you have to save some, withhold some things to be rewards later. Uh, it also helps you learn how the game works. There are a lot of hidden systems. Um, and giving you that limited set at first sort of lets you master that a bit and then move on to more expansive versions and more complicated things later. 
that that theme of what you put in what you get out is actually another kind of very core thing to to the game because like there there's a common trend in survival games where the world kind of just exists for you to mine like it's it's you go out into the world and you cut the trees down to get the wood to build your house and you dig you break down the rocks to get the iron or coal or whatever you need uh and part of what we wanted to do with wildbender was to kind of twist that and push back against it and create a world where there was there was a more of a reciprocal relationship between you and the world. So like you could get things out of the world, but also you are rewarded for putting things back into it, uh, for restoring life, for expanding springs, for letting trees grow instead of chopping them down. Uh, and so your survival and the the restoration of the world end up being a mutually reinforcing thing. Yeah. This leads me on to our next question. It's about progression. It's very much linked to what we discussed. In Wildmender, it's extremely strong in that very visually and obvious that every every step, baby steps, if you like. But the pacing is slow, generally speaking. And it's sort of, it reveals itself to you very slowly because there is so much of it. But it's just what I, you know, as you grow in your, your initial little homestead where it's in the middle of a desert, uh, beset by sandstorms, you then find yourself building out and creating this little oasis, which then expands and expands beyond that point, transforms the world, basically almost terraforming. But I've got to ask, why? Why Why is it as slow as it is? Correct, yeah, why is it slow? Yeah, so, um, one, I suspect um, that you just haven't reached some of the later parts of the game where it gets less slow. Uh, True, because this does, this does come back into some of the progression stuff. Yes, it uh, does. We were talking about before, where yes, your your early abilities are fairly weak. You can dig up a little patch of soil, and yeah, there's a later on spoiler way to uh, you know change the terrain on a much larger scale. Yeah, and I think I think with the game, the pacing, the players have some agency in pacing. Um, so there are players who are more focused on exploration. They take more risk, uh, so they're more aggressively uh, pursuing the basically the main quest of the game. And you know they get a lot of their resources not necessarily by by you know building up uh, a you know massive garden, but by foraging, let's say. And they were able to progress through the game and essentially beat the game. Uh, it beat the main, uh, complete the main uh, progression uh, into the storyline like a lot faster. Whereas some players. You know, they really want to focus on the garden. They really want to invest their, in their garden, you know, where, you know, completing the, the main quest is more secondary. Um, so they spend a lot of time, uh, you know, slowly uh, building up their garden and enjoying the process doing so. Um, you know, so by the time they actually, you know, venture further out and complete more of the main quests, um, they have a massive garden in place, let's say. Um, so I think people do, I think, I think the game is, you know, encompassing enough um, where there are different types of players uh, who have different objectives and they want to do different things and play for a different purpose. And the game is, I think, expansive enough where it encompasses, you know, both types. So I think just in terms of pacing, there is some variability and there's some some flexibility there um, as well. So, you know, if someone wants to be more aggressive and just trying to play through the story they can, uh, if some people want to take their time and garden, and in fact, if that's all they ever wanted to do, uh, they could certainly do that as well. Uh, an- another aspect of this um, is that part of that sort of building a-, a rapport between the player and the environment is our individual plants are 
almost characters. Like they have their own set of needs. They're a bit simpler than the players, but they're similar. And especially early on in the game, you really have to take care of them as individuals. And we wanted that. That was that was sort of part of that again building that rapport. Uh, and then later in the game, yes, there are, there are ways to sort of make that easier and not actually automate, but sort of automate parts of that loop. Uh, you know, make the environment healthier and easier for the plants so you don't have to spend as much individual attention on them. I think another part of this is we wanted to maintain that core feeling of being surrounded by a hostile desert, Um, which means we can't let you succeed too quickly. Uh, Because if you succeed at the sort of implicit goal of reforesting the entire world, then the game is over. You you know, there's, there's no threat. There's no pushback. It's no longer actually interesting to succeed. So while we, we change up that through the different environments in the game, through the different threats that you encounter later on, we needed that tension to exist the entire time. That's fair. I, I just felt I just fell into the category of wanting to be self sufficient rather than rely on foraging. I wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so so one thing I've definitely seen um a lot of people do and probably points to something we should have tutorialized better, um, is they get caught up in the details of gardening too early when uh, actually exploring will give them a lot more early on in the game and will give them ways to make gardening less manual and tedious. So the next question, and I really want to talk about this, and this, this, this question is really about the, the sound design. I think it's exceptional. You've done a really good job of making sure that the spot effects and the, the interaction effects in Wild Mender are pronounced or, or just there and very much easy to pick out outside the score. Score is wonderful, the musical score is wonderful, but the discordance were almost jarring but not quite tunes and chirrups and what have you to let the player know that something interesting has happened you need to know about. And it's just really informative. Could you talk us through the process of coming up with that? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I have to give the caveat that I am not a sound designer or a composer. Um, so those, the specific thing that you're talking about was discussed by those people quite a bit, actually. The, a big part of it, I think, actually, is that just because of a quirk of the timing, we actually had all our music done first. So when the sound designer came in, uh, he had a lot of time to sort of look at the music in the background and pick sounds that would be, you know, fit with it but also stand out against it for all these other uh use cases and a lot of this came down to sort of like kind of instrument choices and sound tone for lack of a better term again i'm sorry i'm not a sound designer uh and just finding things that would be visible but then also toning those back when they became too visible too annoying that there was definitely a point where that happened with the the various ui beeps and dings we had to tone that down a bit well i think you've done a fantastic job like i said it's the key's different. You, they're just so pronounced, like you've been trotting along, and then you hear something, the direction as well, the directional sound is, is really good. And you say, oh, it's over there. What's, what's and indeed, more of the times I'd hear something before I saw it. And that's fine. That's fine. And the enemy creatures and the and the uh, wraiths as they float around, they are, they are yeah. Quite, oh, yeah. specifically for the wraiths, this was a big issue. <laughs> uh, because early on, we had a lot of problems, actually, with... Um, because the wraiths kind of like circle and move in and out uh, in combat without getting into too much detail, 
Uh, we had a lot of problems early on with them attacking from the player's blind side, and you didn't understand what was going on uh, until it was way too late. Uh, and yeah, sound was part of the solution to that, as well as the various uh, attack effects and things like that. But so it's all about communicating to the player what's happening. That's that's I don't know yeah. half or more of game development in general. Yeah, you think isn't it obvious? No, fine. But yeah, isolating threat and knowing where the threat's coming from. Um, is really important. And, the you know, the bubbles you put down on the ground going, you're about to be shot. Maybe get out of this zone. That's a good idea. You know, just saying. And it's really well done. And the, how, I love how the combat evolves over time. So initially it's quite simple, but then eventually as you get more powers, more abilities, more and more layered. It's really clever. And again, I'm, I could sort of do another 20 questions. I'm not going to, though, because we've run out of time. But here we are. The last question is now gone. And they're now going to say that Wildmender has been developed by Muse Games. Where did the name come from, by the way? It sounds obvious, but it's just interesting. A Muse game. Another great question. I could make up a you know really you know beautiful story and whatever, but in reality, we were just trying to find something um, where the domain name hasn't been taken and you know has something games in it. So we're just like searching around, and um, you know one of our um, teammates at the time was like, "Hey, Muse Games, this is still available." Um, so we, uh, you know, uh, grabbed it, registered it, and um, you know, haven't looked back since. Muse, inspiration, creativity—sounds good. Let's run with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm amazed you could get it. Like, it sounds like you were like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> it just writes itself. Okay, let's go get it. But it just turns out to be so fitting anyway. It looks like you, you fit into the name of the studio which is just wonderful <laughs> thanks yeah um, not gonna get a cheesy story out of us <laughs> that's fine <laughs> and uh it's uh yeah so wildmender is published by uh quali and uh is available what is it what platforms is it available on steam ps5 and uh xbox series uh x and s yes yes indeed and one thing we didn't really delve into by the way is you can play this co-op with Four, isn't it? I think. Yeah, up to four. Up to four, and uh, yeah, it's just really interesting to have that aspect of in a in a, in a survival game. That you know, not just one of you, you can actually have someone or people jump in and sort of explore and discover the world together, and it makes life a lot easier. Going, oh look, I mean, the amount of times like, oh, you can do this. What? Uh, come have a look. <laughs> Yeah. The the co-op gameplay has sort of become one of our, our signatures as a studio, I think. Um, we, you know, had a lot of practice with it, making Guns of Icarus, basically. Um, and so we've, we've tried to, you know, leverage that experience and the, the underlying technology as well. Um, and, you know, bring that value into all our other games. Um, Wildbender is meant to be playable solo as well. You don't, you know, you're not required to do co-op to advance anything, but yeah, it's a great experience if you can uh, get friends get friends involved and in seeing the things you've created and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. No mean feat either making a multiplayer and single-player game both rewarding as each other for different reasons. But, like I said, we could talk about this for hours, but we are not able to. Um, it's been wonderful having you both on the show to chat about and be so open and honest about the creation of Wildmender. And uh, you're more than welcome to come back again. <laughs> uh, to chat about whatever's like next, it. yeah, uh, whatever's next is uh, cooking in your brains. We will be here. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, great to be here. 
Thanks for having us. More than welcome. But until then, thank you very, very much. Thank you. So there it is, Wildmender, in a rather large nutshell. Episode 478 will feature Vitautas Rosgus, project manager at Sneakybox, and Jason Polanski, producer from Atari, to chat about the homage to the arcade classic Berserk Recharged. So until then, bye! You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, Cane and Rinse.